Hey everyone, welcome to New Slang. I'm your host, music journalist Thomas Mooney. This is episode 134, where I'm joined by singer-songwriter Cam. I know some folks who subscribe to New Slang are in it more for the Americana-leaning interviews, so they think that maybe Cam isn't their cup of coffee, but I highly encourage you to give her a listen. This album of hers, The Other Side, it's one of my favorites of the year, and I'm talking like top 10 range. She released it this past Friday, October 30th, so definitely check it out. This episode with Cam has also been one of my favorites as well. This interview is about an hour long, but I could have easily gone just like full Joe Rogan and and done about three or four hours with her. At any rate, I think we do cover a lot in the hour. Again, her new album, The Other Side, one of my favorites of the year, and specifically the song Girl Like Me, which closes the album, that's one of my favorite songs of the year. I know Cam has spoken about how the song came after watching the documentary Surviving R. Kelly, and it's heavily influenced and inspired by the struggles of being a woman in the music industry. All those double standards and trust issues, having something that you love become warped and tainted by just, you know, horrible experiences and bad faith and bad people. And while I can't necessarily speak to any of those issues from personal experience, a larger part of that song is about forgiveness, specifically self-forgiveness, and not becoming jaded, not letting others take away what you love. And I think that is just incredibly relatable. And while there is a very tragic and heartbreaking element to the song, the perspective where Cam is coming from is very, very beautiful. And I just think it's an amazing song written by her and Natalie Hemby. That's kind of what this album feels like to me too. New perspectives coming from a new perspective. Maybe that's wisdom from time passing by or new experiences, just the maturation process. Maybe it comes when you're just far enough from an event where you're just clear-headed enough and balanced. You hear it in songs like Redwood Tree and Changes and of course, Girl Like Me. Or, of course, in a song like Happier For You or What Goodbye Means, it's holding out for hope, holding out for people to change their mind, maybe for circumstances to change. But even there, I think that forcing yourself to address the situation is necessary. Maybe you're in denial, but I I don't know. I think that sometimes that's the, the first step to getting to a place where you're better. There's a lot of nuance in the lyricism and storytelling. Her perspective has a lot of depth and weight to it. Listening to these songs really feel like having a conversation with Cam. Today's presenting sponsor is Desert Door Texas Soto. If you know anything about me, it's probably that I'm from the heart of West Texas and absolutely love everything about West Texas. And that's really why I love Desert Door so much. You may be asking yourself what exactly Soto is. Well, it's a premium spirit that's similar to a tequila or a mezcal, but for my money, it's a little bit more refined and smooth. There's a sweetness and faint hints of vanilla and citrus, and it's also as versatile as your garden variety vodka. At its core, Desert Door is authentically West Texas. They go out and harvest soto plants from the wild and bring them back to their distillery over in Driftwood, Texas. So next time you're at your local liquor store, get a bottle of Desert Door. For more info, check this episode's show notes. Rolling in from the hills of eastern Tennessee is Hot Damn Coffee, a down-home company that roasts single-origin, high-quality coffees from around the world. I am proud to be working with the fine, hard-working folks over at Hot Damn Coffee. Their year-round roasts come from certified farms in Nicaragua, Ethiopia, and Tanzania. Hot Damn Coffee sent me over some samples the other day, and they've just been making each morning that much better. As a writer, there's nothing quite like taking a coffee break and having that anticipation of that first sip of a robust, fragrant, and strong but smooth cup of coffee. Somehow that first sip kind of just shakes all the frustration out of you. You come back energized and more focused on the task at hand. Check out the Hot Damn website at hotdam.coffee. Note that that's at .coffee and not .com. There, you can find more info on the variety of different coffees they offer, who they are, and learn how to brew the best damn coffee. While there, head on over to the Hot Damn Coffee Club. Their subscription club gives you preferred pricing, first access to new roasts, and delivers coffee to your door every month. Now, this is important. New Slang listeners can get 20% off their first month subscription by entering SLANG in all caps, 
in the coupon code box during checkout. I'll, of course, throw all the info and links into the show notes. But again, that's hotdamn.coffee and slang in all caps for 20% off your order. Start your Hot Damn subscription today. If this is your first time listening to new slang, I strongly suggest hitting that subscribe link. Okay, I think that's about it for the intro. Let's just get on to the interview. Here is Cam. Yeah, you have this new album coming out in just about a month now. And obviously, it's been just about five years since the last album. Um, I'm assuming that like, you know, you initially you, you were wanting this, this, this record to be out sooner than this. And we don't have to necessarily get into all that. But um, I'm assuming you go you kind of go through all those different phases of like frustration to you know, is this ever going to come out to kind of embracing like this is meant for now? What is, I guess, like been that process on, on that side of things for you as far as like, it's finally arrived? Yeah. I mean, okay. Can I ask how old you are? Yeah, I'm 33. Yeah. So you're, we're in the same boat here. Mm -hmm. Like I think I describe it as from what I can tell, from what I've lived so far, your 20s are also just like, ugh, hurry up. Like, I want my life to be here right now. And that's kind of, you know, how I felt about business, too, and putting out records and just like, I want it all, and I want it right now, and I'm just going to, it's going to happen, and bulldoze, and whatever. And um, I think then finally you start to, like, oh, things happen at the world's pace, (laughs) not just at your pace for better or for worse. And just so much goes into it. And I think, you know, just starting into my thirties and getting married and having a baby and just, you start to just, I feel like, yeah, I've gone through exactly that process of being frustrated and then sort of realizing that having extra time helps helps me mm-hmm. you know like it helps me be better it helps the project fall in place it opens up doors for more things to happen and I think you just start to realize how to you know dance with it a little bit more and enjoy it because it's just it's going to be the journey it's going to be <laughs> and um, obviously I'm in a much better space now you know and and probably part of that is like, cause now the album's coming out, you know, in a month. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but you know, kind of life has those arcs and maybe not for everybody, but just because I'm a songwriter or this is how my family grew up, like around the dinner table, you try to tell the best story about your day, you know? And so I just think of things in story arcs and I'm, I'm hitting the, the moral lesson of (laughs) this story arc. And so it's like, Oh, I see what this chapter was for, you know, and I've made it. So I think it's, it feels, um, better, you know, right now at least. Yeah. Well, it it makes, to me, that makes a lot of sense because obviously, um, just comparison, comparing this to like writing your songs, like sometimes it's not until later that you fully, or you, you better understand like the story of that, song um you know a lot of times like that can happen later where you go oh you know what actually i was processing this and it makes a lot more sense and in i guess like in real time as far as like your own story you you know it's it's you're processing that you're processing the you know oh you know this little setback is actually not a setback it's just like a sidestep and um yeah and i think also like songs for me are definitely an effort or not an effort, but it's just like an opening of the subconscious and unconscious and trying to figure out, you know, bring things that are need healing to awareness. And so I'll sit in like a song, a songwriting session and I'll say lyrics that like at the time it's like, Oh, that just feels right in my gut. But I haven't processed, processed it deeply what it really means for me. Like, I'm like, Oh, this is a story I'm telling. And I kind of know some of this relates to my life, but I'm also just telling this story. And then later on, it's like, 
Oh, that's what I was saying to myself. But I think because it's coming from a place of like deep down, it's in there, but like really on a conscious level, you don't fully get it yet, mm-hmm. you know? So I think, and then also just maybe the flip side of that is like when you go too far as a storyteller, like, you know how they say eyewitnesses are really unreliable because every time you access a memory, you like tweak it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I think it's kind of like a little bit like that with me and storytelling. Like it is easier because I guess truth is kind of relative. Like every time you're looking back, you're like, oh, this is what it means. Like, yeah. oh, never mind. This is what, like the other day I started realizing like burning house. I've been telling the story about like what it's about and, you know, the guy that I dated and was really important to me. And then I, you know, didn't handle the breakup well and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, you know, I just felt guilty. And I went in this burning house and wouldn't let him die alone, you know? So we died together. And now I'm just like, oh my God, I felt so guilty about someone else having their feelings hurt. I like had to dream myself dying over it. I was like, wow, that's kind of, that's pretty fucked up. <laughs> like now there's this whole new layer of like, why do I feel so responsible? Yeah, You know? So I think that's, I guess that's just life, you know, layer and layer. Right. Well, you know, that's, um, you, you, you mentioned like the, the, the eyewitnesses, like they, you know, they, and they talk about like, I guess with, when you me- remember something, it's like you, you're remembering the last time you remembered versus like remembering it that initial time. And that's where like all those little tweaks come from. And like, you know, obviously also when you're, you're telling the story to someone else, you almost always want to make it a little bit cooler than it was or a little bit more dramatic than it was because maybe you feel that you don't, that it's not, it's not going to live up to as good of a story as, as you initially thought as far as like yeah. that kind of thing. Well, goes. also I get this kick out of, like I've realized this because I do these shows and I started um, kind of around this living room tour of like doing really candid banter in between songs and not even like sensationalizing a story. Cause like, you know how sometimes the banter between songs, people are like, I guess all I've seen is people just be like, how are you doing tonight? Boston, <laughs> you know, like, and like this for all the lovers who've had their hearts broke, like that kind of, you know, one liner. Yeah. Do you feel this? <laughs> and then I, for some reason, like I just was in this space when this tour started where I was just like, fuck it. Like I am telling exactly how I feel and people can get it or not get it. And I think it was for whatever reason, the people that dig my music and come to these things, we all were like on the same page and it was so fun. And now it's like probably my favorite part of the show, to be honest, just like spontaneously tell truth (laughs) and just be so open and it's just like oh yeah that story like that happened Mm -hmm. and it's something to be honest you can't as an artist uh you know they train you too, like how to speak to press and stuff and like people also with articles and social media like things get taken out of context and also just like like we're saying context and framing is like who are you talking to that's listening to the story where that, where are they at in their awareness and learning? And when you're in the room live with people and you're connecting over music, it's just so much easier. That's how it's felt so bad for the chicks. Like when they made that comment right. and got drugged so hard. Cause it's like, whether or not you agree with their politics, like also like, man, they were just at a show. Mm-hmm. And they just said it offhand, like, I could find something that you said, like, probably an hour ago that you probably don't even remember <laughs> saying and take it out of context and be like, this is crazy. <laughs> so, exactly. anyways, there's something super freeing about telling all those stories at the shows. And it's so fun because I think it gives, because normally I write all the songs and I have, like, a really personal reason. And so then when you listen to the song, you're getting to hear, like, I don't know. You're coming in it from a different angle. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, you know, two things on that. One, I, I think like what you're kind of saying there is 
um, in this industry, as far as like, um, I hate to use the word coach, but coached the, the, the phoning it in on like everyone's, uh, as far as journalists, artists, kind of like playing that game of like, just kind of the, the, the right thing to say kind of thing. And, or just like taking, um, quotes from press releases and all that kind of stuff. I, what you're saying is like in these live shows, like that kind of live setting, you're like scraping away all the, those filters that can warp and manipulate and change what you're saying. And then two, it feels like, you know, you're, you're playing songs during a show. And for the most part, like that kind of stays the same, but like that banter and that stage, the, the, I guess like the talk between you and an audience, that's the things that can change and, um, can kind of maybe feel fresh every time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, five years, I've definitely had to do new arrangements for all these songs, you know, which is incredible. Like to tour, you know, extensively internationally (laughs) definitely gets your chops up and really fun creatively to come up with new ways to do all these songs. And I'm so excited to play the new ones, obviously, because it'll be such a fun new release for me. But yeah, the banter is like another level of like, yeah, you can, change the arrangements of the songs, but also like right now, how are you feeling? And like, what's going on in the world that everybody kind of is feeling too. And you want to talk about how that relates to you. How are you, how does that make you feel? Or just like something new you learned that you can share with people. And when you're having a real time conversation, just like when you're over the dinner table, if it doesn't resonate with people, you move on, you know, and you start talking about something else instead of just like, um, I don't know. There's something, it's just, I've never, I've done a lot of things in my life and I haven't found anything as spectacular as feeling in the moment. So connected to everyone in a space like that. Mm-hmm. Like it's just one of the best feelings. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to you, you, when you're talking about songwriting and kind of tapping into that, um, free conscious space. And, um, is that something that like you've had to learn to do over time or is that something that just has always kind of come natural? That's always come to me. I think that's like, I loved poetry as a kid. My parents would have us read poetry at the dinner table and like, I just loved it. Like I love digging deeper. Like I'm, I think that's just part of how I work specifically. Like that's why I was on a path to do psychology research, like trying to just figure out what's what's moving me and what's moving the world and why, you know, like, and I got to figure it out because we're all going to die, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> get into the deep dark. Like I have to know, like what's the real, like there's this layer that's, conditioning and then there's this layer that's taught and then you keep getting down to the core and core and where's that like rock hard truth at the bottom of it (laughs) whatever that quest is for understanding um I think it's like tied in to how like when I do songwriting like I'm not doing I guess also I should just say like I didn't grow up being like I should be a famous country singer <laughs> like that didn't that never once crossed my mind <laughs> i just i wanted to be a supreme court justice in fourth grade and then i wanted to be a psychology researcher and then i like hit this wall of like which i think everybody hits where you realize that your job isn't all the idealistic things that you had hoped it would be right and then i was like well you know in research there's a lot of reasons that what you're looking for and how you're looking for it doesn't always give you the truth, you know, and, or it maybe kind of does, but it's later (laughs) and it's halfway there. So, and the money drives it. So now how can I find another way to discover this? And it's like, well, music has always been that for me. And it's driven by like literally a physical feeling. Like when I go sit down to write, I feel it in my stomach like this is the thing that I want to say. And it's like, okay, go with that, (laughs) you know, and then try and keep expanding that idea or that story. So it really feels explored and yeah, like resonates in me, like physically resonates. And then, you know, so it's just like a, 
me, for me, songwriting, even when it's for other people, you know, like with the Miley stuff and the Sam stuff, like those are things that I needed to hear someone say, like I needed to hear someone say like, it's not a waste of time when it doesn't work out with someone, even though you spent all this time building something together. Like it's not a waste of time. And like, so that's, I think that's just what drives me to do all this stuff. And then for some reason there's like this hilarious byproduct of like, I am really motivated and driven and, you know, here to make money and take care of people around me. But um, it feels like the, country music career is definitely a, a secondary pursuit, I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess like what I was thinking about was how um, getting to that space, that place where you're just kind of in the moment of writing the song, I feel like that can be probably difficult for a lot of people because you're thinking too much about writing the song versus just writing the song, if that makes sense. Like, um, maybe like getting in your own way where you're like, well, this actually doesn't make sense for this right now. And, um, Oh yeah. And like, like your people in the room with you too. Like, do I trust this person? Can I say that out loud? Like, is this, yeah. Is this a dumb idea? You know, am I, am I even like, you can start to spiral really fast. (laughs) You know, that like hot feeling in your face where you're like, Oh my God, I can't (laughs) say anything I've totally shut myself down because you spiral internally that like nothing is good enough like that's definitely rights (laughs) that happen and I think just if you're a perfectionist or spend a lot of time thinking about that because there's definitely people who maybe are older or made a career out of this and they seem to just be so much happier about it (laughs) and they like take it so I don't know and it's like, ah, oh, showing up today and writing a song and yeah. then I'll see you, you yeah. know, like, uh, gotta go home, pick up the kids. And I, I really admire that. And I, I don't have, I don't, I don't seem to have that yet. <laughs> yeah. Like the, just the, they're gotten, they've gotten into such like the, the routine of it, or maybe like they've always been that way and they're just able to fit that into their life. That, that's, that it's definitely a something foreign to me as well. It's, uh, it's, yeah. Or the people that are like, Oh, write every day. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's just so hard to pull mm-hmm. that off. And like, I admire people that can do it, but I think I like that. There's also room for just like, not like, I think people think it's lazy. I think there's like some capitalism tied in there too. Of like you got to work every day, but also just like, I think you should feel moved and write from a place where you feel moved. You know, and make space so that if you're moved every day, you can write. This episode is in part brought to you by the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. There is a way to help A, support Blue Light, and B, get a sense of that normalcy by visiting bluelightlubbock.com, clicking on the merch tab, and getting some koozies, a vast array of t-shirts and caps, And yes, even a blue light flag. While it is such a bummer that live music is still on hold right now, I'm telling you, by getting some blue light live merch, you're going to feel better. It just feels better wearing a t-shirt and ball cap and helping support your favorite bar. Again, that's bluelightlubbock.com. Click on the merch tab, get some merch. All right, back to the episode. Yeah, well, I'm... I'm of, I guess, like the belief that that um, the the time before you even picked up the pen and paper, and you're just like those thoughts are in your head. That's like most of the work, and then like the the routine part of it, the the um, I guess where you're the 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 quote unquote work is whenever you're actually kind of um, when you're when you're editing. I guess you know what I mean. Um, the I, I guess like we don't appreciate all that time the all the living if you will put into the song before like the actual writing even takes place yeah no there is i mean that's what it is Mm -hmm. i guess it's like a distillation of your life and experiences and feelings and then 
yeah, hopefully it comes together and comes across. But like, you know, that's where words, I, I always hear that, you know, words are, and language is a little bit more, I don't know, mathematical about it. <laughs> it's a little more clean cut boxes. And then when you get to music, there's kind of room for, you can't quite explain why you're feeling the same feeling that I felt, but there's something in the music that, and it's not just like attention and release harmonically. There's like something just a little bit more like, why do people feel a certain way in different keys? You know, Mm -hmm. like it just music. I think you have a little bit, it's definitely a different paintbrush. And so you kind of are just feeling around in the dark. (laughs) hoping that you grab onto something that buzzes the right way and is going to buzz other people. But um, I guess that's the other thing too, is like, it, is it a, an outcome results driven thing for you? Cause even if you do get it right, it doesn't mean that it's going to be a multi-million dollar hit maker for you, <laughs> right. you know, but it still can hit like a, a certain section of the population, like really in the heart. And they're just like, Oh my God, I needed I needed this. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, going to like the record, it, like it feels like there's, um, or let me backtrack actually a little bit. You mentioned Burning House just a second ago, and I feel like this is connected to it. Because um, you, have you noticed that you kind of go into the, the imagery of like um, infrastructure to represent like relationships and stuff as far as like the Burning House palace? It feels like there's some like ghosts on this record as far as like representing memories, um, has that, have you, have you noticed that or, or am I kind of off? Like specific imagery? Sorry. Well, did you say I infrastructure? Mean, yeah. Like, like the palace, for example, like that kind of uh-huh. represents a, a relationship. Oh, like Burning literally house. structural yeah. like, buildings. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there's like, yeah, I like, I mean, I think I like certain metaphors. My parents are both, um, in construction. So like maybe that's why it's an easily, relatable available <laughs> thing for me the way things are built mm-hmm. um yeah I, I think there's uh, a little touch of that in like forgetting you as well as far as like you're kind of um going back into a house and like everything kind of like the ac and stuff like that um yeah there's some i and i think that definitely the haunting and the ghosts too i know i think there's like a I don't know, you know, like sometimes like the palace one, I remember going in and wanting to write that because I was thinking about that Billy Joel song, like in every heart, there is a room sanctuary, safe and strong to heal the wounds of lovers past until a new one comes along. And I love that, like there's a physical space Mm -hmm. or something's happening that you're leaving room for this, but then for me, I was like, oh, if it's not in your heart, like it's in your mind with my psychology stuff, you know? So I think sometimes also the metaphors, I think if you can, to me, I like when there's like a visual that comes with it. I think I do like that. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. funny. I haven't really thought about that, but I liked, like I can picture myself and forgetting you being in a kind of, not as nice hotel room, which is something that I've definitely been in many times and sitting there alone. And then this person from your past, like creeps back into your thoughts kind of the same way. Like when you check into a hotel and you're like, okay, I'll take a non-smoking room. And then you get in there and you sit down and like kind of cigarette smoke wafts up (laughs) from the bed. And you're like, Oh God, this is definitely a smoking room. (laughs) And it's, I think all of those sort of like real world triggers help you go or help me go down the path of like, ah, and it sort of like all lines it up. So then your little doorways are open and that, that feeling that you maybe have been afraid to address or didn't know how to address or put into words, like now we're going to pull it out, (laughs) sort of set the scene for you. Yeah. Like the, that's something that's so tied to memory as well is like the, the smell of things. Like there's yeah. probably, I don't know, like there's a, a million smells out there that like that I'll be reminded of whenever I s- smell them and go, oh, this reminds me of this. But there's probably like 10 that 
I could list right now that reminds me of people. That's I feel like yeah. that's such an interesting thing that I don't even know if that's explainable for I'm sure it is, but like on a practical level for me, you know. Yeah, no, I think there is like brain wise, olfactory wise. I think that um there's something too like I've noticed about getting older and now with Lucy, my daughter, like I'm you know, seasons kind of can tap into different memories. Like you remember something that happened like in the same season, like a while back and same thing with Lucy, like now having a kid, it's like, Oh, like I can, for some reason I can access a lot more childhood memories too. So it's kind of a, yeah, you get put in different spaces, which Mm -hmm. maybe that's part of the, part of that process. Yeah. And I definitely visualize things too, like for, like whenever I'm writing a song, it comes with, like what goodbye means for some reason, like it has this, like I picture being outdoors on kind of like a warm night in New Mexico. (laughs) There's kind of like sort of like a winding down wedding party with little lights out. And it's like, it's, there's something soft and sweet about it, but sort of sad that it's ending. And I don't know why, but that like comes in there. But that song is like about a friend who went through a really rough divorce. And I remember asking him like, you're being so nice to her through this and she's not being nice to you. And like, you know, I'm a Scorpio. So I'm like, why are you, (laughs) why are you being so nice back? And he was like, she, she might change her mind. And it just was like, so tragic to hear that come out of his, cause you knew, I knew where he was coming from. Like, when you're not quite ready for the whole truth, like all of us could see that was obviously not going to happen, but he needed to process it in the amounts that he could process it, you know? And like, I don't know, in a way it's like taking care of yourself. And it just was like such a sweet, sad sentiment. But anyways, I wrote that song, you know, about that story and tapping into that, but still the song for me lives in this like, you know, kind of warm sadness. Yeah, like the like that bittersweetness of 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 the moment. What I kind of like about what you're saying there is, um, like my favorite part about even talking with with people about the songs they've written is, I guess, finding more context for those songs and contextualizing them. And like, um, what you kind of described there is kind of like one of those like mood boards. If like there was like a yeah. mood board for oh, like yeah. every song. No, we make <laughs> mood boards for all the songs. It's well, really fun. Yeah. Well, okay. Like what is, is, when does that come? Is that like, I guess beforehand, like I've not really talked with anyone who's done that for. Oh, well, so my manager is basically like my creative partner. And so we come up with every, like I write the songs and then as soon as they like are together, we start talking about, okay, like what color are these songs? Like what chakra are these songs? What, sign are these songs what animal are these songs like what and we start like she'll put together i i am not good with pinterest (laughs) she will put together the actual boards and go find things and then we'll be like comb through them okay like this is not good this is it and like each song has its own aesthetic so then when we go to make videos or like visualizers um there's a whole thing in there and like the two of us just have always loved doing this and that was like early on i remember making the Mayday video. Um, my lawyer also represents Kendrick Lamar and his manager and him have a very tight creative relationship like this too. And so Lindsay called Dave, the Kendrick's manager and like talks through like, okay, what do you guys do? What's your process? And like, just got a whole bunch of tips, you know, on like where the, cause you know, you can have this whole process of like how you visualize things and put together mood boards, but then how does it, translate into something (laughs) in the world, the real world. (laughs) So, um, that was super helpful. And I think also just like a good trust in our gut of like what it is that we want to make. Um, but that isn't the same for everyone. That's what's so weird about music too. Like there's no one way people do business. Um, and there shouldn't be, but then there's people who are like, you know, it just, it's always been done this way and it would be easier if you do it this way. And it's like, I mean, it's art. So 
people are different. It's subjective. Even the way you make it is subjective. And it's, it definitely, it's never an easy road (laughs) for some reason to make something exactly like you want it. Yeah. Well, I always kind of feel like just because we've done something for a long time does not mean it's the the right way. Like, um, no, but it's easier because everyone knows Um, how it's supposed to go and they know their part and they can, the machine can just function. Yeah. I mean, like it, like on a practical level or, or a practical example was like at one time people thought the earth was the center of the universe. So like, you know, just, um, things change and like why, and especially when you're coming into art, like things shouldn't be, um, gatekeep it. Uh, we shouldn't be gatekeeping art or like, Making no, well, because I think lines. that's the thing that like it's become a business, right? And mm-hmm. so the everything's just tied, like you know, everything in our culture right now is like, does it make profit? And like the reason that music exists in every single culture since the beginning of human beings is that it's necessary. Like you need music, and it's not because you we've always needed it because of the profits it makes, you know, Mm -hmm. like we need it culturally to understand ourselves, to like bring cohesion or bring dissension when it's necessary. Like it's all, you know, not to get too high and mighty about it, but (laughs) it's really important. And it's kind of a bummer when I think people forget the business part of it gets more emphasized, you know, or it becomes the thing that people are like, Oh, it runs smoothly. And it's so funny because sometimes like I'll just get tired, you know, and I'm like, Oh, whatever. Just do it. (laughs) Just do it the way everybody does it. I don't give a shit, you know? And like Lindsay, um, definitely keeps me on the, no, we're doing it the way that's true to you. That's why you're doing this because the few times that you get in that space, like whatever, I'll just do what's easy. It also just like, it's a very slippery slope to not want to do it anymore, you know? Cause if right. it's not like lighting something up in you, then you're not going to want to spend your time doing it. It's not, I know it sounds like a really fun career, but <laughs> it definitely comes with a lot of you're away from your family your, you know, your relationships take a toll. Like there's a lot of stuff that comes with this career choice. It's like, you know, you could, I can make up money other ways. <laughs> I don't have to do it this way, but if it's something that really is helping me figure myself out and figure out the world, then then it's worth it. I wanted to talk to y'all one more time about our new partners at Desert Door and offer up a handful of my favorite ways to drink it. Get you a Mexican Coca-Cola, have a couple of swigs, then pour yourself some Desert Door Oak aged in, toss in a lime wedge or two. Or how about this? Pour some Desert Door into a mug, top off the glass with some ginger beer, squeeze in a lime. Or for all you ranch water drinkers out there, get you a Topo Chico, take a couple of pulls off, and then pour in some Desert Door. Toss in a couple of lime wedges, and now you have a mighty tasty and refreshing ranch water. Remember, Soto is as versatile as vodka and has a more refined, smooth, and a more complex palate than tequila. It's rich and balanced, and and whatever your go-to drink is, it'll make it that much better. And again, it's inherently West Texas. It tastes like home. For more info on Desert Door, check our show notes. All right, that's it for Thomas Mooney's Cocktail Minute. Let's get back to the show. Right. Yeah, like it's... um, I always... Whenever I'm talking with friends and stuff, they always kind of always... Um, I always feel like I'm being negative about everything and it's like, no, it's actually because I, like, I care that much. I really actually do love all this and that's why like, I feel like I can <laughs> right? nitpick it, you know, or just like talk about the worst aspects because like, um, we, I think we have to be real. We just can't have like the rose colored glasses on all the time about everything. So, um, I wanted to go back to like the, the mood board thing though, because I feel that that to me um it seems like that's just like a like artistic it seems like really really fun to be able to do that but i also kind of feel like that's a very practical thing to do as far yeah. as like um yeah i think so it's easier to share with people and get people on the same page 
it's like another way of expressing yourself mm-hmm. and like conceptually sort of like lining up things without having to just like, you know, how they say like talking about music is like dancing about architecture. It's just like really hard to just get on the same page with people just talking about it. And so, no, I love, I love that stuff. And I love being organized too. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I think um, poor Danica is listening on this call and normally has to do a lot of the organization for me, but <laughs> I love things being efficient um, and just like having a step-by-step process, even if it's different, like it's still a process, like how to get there and get there efficiently. And maybe that's kind of like me being from San Francisco and like Silicon Valley vibes or something, but like, yeah, if there's a way to do it and there's some technology that can help you get there, like go, go do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's for me, I think it's just so, um, I don't know, like as far as like artists go and songwriters, I think sometimes we, we build up the, the romanticism of like being the, the true artist and that's really, really great. And like everyone, all, a lot of these songwriters and artists are artists, but like also I'm like, sometimes you don't have to explain things in these abstract ways of like how effortless it was. You can talk oh, about like no, the, that romanticization thing. I'm not with that at <laughs> all. Like I hate that to be honest. Like first off, there's all kinds of personalities and there's all kinds of cultural time periods that require the outsider or the narrator or the commentator, it wouldn't just be one kind of person for all of time. So you definitely need, it's it's stupid to think that like a musician is only one type of person. And then I think it's also really, I'm trying to think of the inhibiting to say to people that are in art, you shouldn't, don't worry about business. Don't worry about the money which sounds great if that was really real. Like if everybody was like threw capitalism out the window and it was something else right now, but it's not. And you have to take care of yourself and your people. And especially they like to, I just feel like people use that romanticization, romanticization. How do you say that? Romanticization, romantic, <laughs> romanticization. People who romanticize it, I think it gets used to keep artists in the dark. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times we say like, for whatever societal reasons, like especially women, like we want them young. So like maybe they haven't gone to college yet. And of course you can still have street smarts if you hadn't, you know, and be common sense great at accounting and stuff if you haven't gone to school. But like a lot of people then get surrounded by people that say it's like infantilizing too. Like you, you just stay there, you focus on your music, like you be free. And it's like, the real world isn't like that. Like you need to know how to do your laundry and how to do your taxes. And you need to know what's going into your taxes and you need to know how you're paying your people or taking care of them. Or like, are your, is your manager actually making sure they're getting taken care of or like who, you know, who does what? And there's a lot of freedom in learning that. And I felt really lucky early on to meet um, my lawyer. Who's like, I think this kind of new generation of lawyers that isn't just like, oh, I know so-and-so and I'm going to stand on those laurels for the rest of my career. <laughs> and like they end up just like everyone wants the f- most famous big-name lawyer. And he is obviously doing really well and has a lot of great clients, but it's because he also makes sure that his clients are the smartest people mm-hmm. in the room. So he doesn't have to come in and like clean up a mess later because you said something. He's like, you know exactly how to get yourself into the right position. And then I can make sure we get you into an even better one. And it's like that. Yeah. I could go off for a while about that stuff. I just, I think it's ridiculous. People think you can separate like important real world knowledge, you yeah. know, cause definitely the people on the other side of it that are doing your business for you, they know, mm-hmm. like they know what they're doing and how they're getting paid. Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those things like, um, it's not a, a it's, you guys aren't living in a bubble with different rules. Um, yeah. you know, you're, but I, I guess like the, the idea, the concept of the struggling artist, I, I feel like, um, you can use that as a crutch as well. 
um, or, or as an excuse or, um, and then well, also, also like to be real, like the struggling artist thing, like to get in the game and people are like, Oh, I struggled. Like I struggled, but I struggled cause I knew I wasn't about to fall out the bottom of the bottom. You know what I mean? Like I had family that would bail me out if I really got there. So like when people are like, you got like, it's really, to be honest, it's kind of unfair the way it's set up too. like to get in this game, you got to struggle and everyone's like, well, you got to earn your keep. And that in itself is a barrier to a lot of people that don't, they can't just not make money and not work certain hours of the day and be available for travel and all do it up front with their time and not have anything to compensate them. They got to go get a job. And so like, I think that's why also like to be really real, it affects like the art pool. Cause who can, who can sort of like bet (laughs) their livelihood, you know, who has the ability to do that, especially in like a world that's so expensive now in so many cities. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like, there's no art scene left. Yeah. I I was wondering how like this year, is going to affect that because if, if we're going to um, not just like on artists, as far as like songwriters and, and like the visual concept artists, but like also just if you think of like small businesses that are so tied to minorities, as far as um, like, for example, like restaurants, uh, so many restaurants are being closed due to the pandemic and this economy and everything. And, I wonder like in 10, 15 years, we've kind of like re like whitewashed a lot of American cities because it's just burger joints and not these like really great restaurants that are being run by your favorite ethnic food. You know, these like these families that are, have been here forever and they, yeah. Mom and pop stuff. No, totally. I mean like they can't float like in artist world. It's definitely like you can't float your, band for months on end when you have no income. So like there's a whole ecosystem that just got messed up. I know ours is like really bad. Definitely a lot of the other, like people in tech seem to be (laughs) working just fine, but like everybody else is like, no, it's going to have massive consequences. I remember I went to um, Nepal and like went to, it was after college and I went to this spot called Nangi. It was like, go to Kathmandu take like a four hour bus to Pokhara, take like a, I don't know how many hours, like eight hour taxi ride into the middle of nowhere to like this place called Benny. And then you hike up 10 hours (laughs) to the middle of nowhere where there's no cars. And I remember being up there and I was with these two Canadians who were up there too, like volunteering, helping out, which it's a whole other story about how useless and not helpful a lot of us young American kids are, <laughs> but we were out there and I remember we got to a spot where anything that came in there had come up by like donkey. So like there was, you know, sort of cosmetic things or shampoo or whatever. It's just like a little hut where you could like buy your stuff, like a little store. And there were Cokes there. And I was like, Oh my God, I really want a Coke. And I had forgotten my, cash or whatever and I was like oh Fraser can I borrow like just a couple rupees and like this isn't a lot of money it's like very very cheap I just want to get a coke and he was like no I was like what and he was so committed like full on my hippie pal he was like I can't contribute to you spending money on coca-cola I was like, we're in the middle of nowhere, man like this is I just really want a coke <laughs> you know can you just hug me out with a couple rupees and he was like no, because like in the end, you're going to have what you're talking about, a forest with trees that all look the same, like all these same big trees. You're not going to have the little guys. You're not going to have the diversity. You're not going to have a real forest anymore. And he saw it all the way back down to those like initial choices of, are you going to support this company? And I remember like just being so pissed at him, <laughs> but it really stuck with me that he told me that. And I was like, yeah, he's probably, probably really right in watching it happen right now. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, I don't, it's, it's such a, that's a great story though. I don't know. 
I, I'm just I'm just thinking about that. I wanted to talk to you all one more time about Hot Damn Coffee out of Eastern Tennessee. The morning comes at you hard, and there's only one thing that can charge you up for the day. That's coffee. Sure, you could fill up with whatever you can find on the bottom shelf at your local giant box store, but do you know what works better? Hot Damn Coffee. Why? Because they're single origin and high quality. They're a down-home company passionate about great cups of coffee, and of course, they love great music too, which is why we've partnered up here on New Slang. Go visit hotdam.coffee and order yourself some robust, smooth, and high-quality coffee grounds and beans. Join their subscription club. As a New Slang listener, put SLANG in all caps in the coupon code box at checkout for 20% off your order. You'll be saving some cash, getting some of the finest coffee around, and helping support New Slang, the music podcast that you know and love. Again, that's hotdam.coffee. All right, let's get back to the interview. Yeah, uh, getting back to the, the record, you uh, you know, you've written with so many great artists in the past, and there's some really great co-writes on this album. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about like the, the Lori McKenna and Hillary Lindsay co-write. Um, yeah. I, I just, I find like those two and like... Um, uh, they're just, I don't know, like they're just kind of like writing some of the best stuff of our lifetime. Um, what, yeah. what is it like, like sitting in a room with, with them? <laughs> yeah. Have you gone to talk to them? I've talked with Lori like once for an interview, yeah, probably so like great. a while back. And um, yeah, that was, I don't know. It was, I guess it was like when her last record came out. So yeah, they, I mean, like, Lori, I always refer to as like the poet of our generation. Like I'm just blown away because she, she wrote on forgetting you and I'm alone or forgetting you. She wrote on, um, like a movie. I did that with the love junkie. So it was like, um, all three of them with Liz Rose. And then, um, okay, I'm blanking, but, oh yeah, she wrote changes with Harry Styles. So like I normally write everything because like, you know, I've been saying this, this is my journey to figure myself out. So I guess I don't feel like taking secondhand knowledge really helped me get there. <laughs> you know, and plus I want to get paid, you know? So anyways, I normally don't take outside songs. And then I heard the song and it was the demo and Lori sang it. And you know how Lori just, anything she sings, you just believe it. Like she just be- is so just hits right in the middle of like the note she's delivering in such a way that's so like, ah, and I remember hearing that song and just like, ah, oh, this is so beautiful. I, um, I love writing with her, but I was just so tickled by that song changes that definitely had to have that one too. And like, yeah, being around her and Hillary, like it's, I think it's really interesting because I think of them as they are artists, you know, and they, I think could definitely just be doing that full time instead of working with other people. But for whatever reason, they are working with other people and they're just, there's an extra creative tool in their bag that isn't just like I can tap into something and tell a truth in a very interesting way. They also know how to sit in a room and be very comfortable and just like throw out ideas without the like, I think that like scared personal attachment that I think most of us have where you're like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I'm saying this baby out loud. And what if they don't like it or don't like me? And, they don't have that. They're happy to keep thinking and keep throwing things out and going in whatever direction. And they they know how to work with people, but then also like stand firm when it's like, no, I really do think this is the best way. It's like a, it's a very, yeah, it's a very interesting tool to learn how to do. And they both are amazing at it. And like, you know, Hillary, we, we also wrote the, the title track, the other side together with, um, Tim Avicii. 
and we were in this session and it was me and Tyler Johnson, who I work with all the time and Hillary and Tim and Tim had this like melody and he just kept playing it over and over and over and over and over. And we were just like, whoa, this is, it wasn't like a comfortable, like, oh, let me, everyone feel good. And we'll get to the end of the session and we'll have a song and see you later. And you'll want to call me next time because this was nice. You know, it was definitely like Tim had a vision for what he wanted and it needed to be that exact thing. Like he probably had mood boards, you know what I mean? And he was mm-hmm. like, we got to find this. And so he kept playing it and we were throwing out ideas. And I, I got so like, I hit my limit kind of with it and took a cigarette break and I don't even smoke cigarettes. Like me and Hillary went outside <laughs> and we like came up with this chorus idea, came back in and it was so cool. I remember thinking, God, Hillary, everything she throws out, even if you decide not to go with it, it was still like an amazing idea like amazing melody, um, like perfect words to fit that melody. Like there's no crap lines that come out of her. And so we came in, showed him and he was like, that's perfect. But there's like this one vowel that should be an awe sound, that word. And it was so new to me to have someone say, not just like the cadence of how you would speak the words should match the cadence of the melody, but also your phonetics need to be a hundred percent. It was like next level songwriting. (laughs) And he was such a perfectionist at it, that it was amazing too. By the end of it, I was so exhausted. You're so just drained. Like you're just sitting there in a room, but by the end, you're just so mentally drained. And I left there being like, this song is amazing. Like, and he knew how to pull the best of everyone, including like a Hillary Lindsay, like everything that he could out of it to make sure that song was just like perfect. Um, Yeah. Very, very incredible songwriters. Really, really lucky. They don't mind sitting around and writing, (laughs) you know, Hillary wrote Tiller's Nothing Left too. Like, yeah, they're all over the record. I'm really thankful and proud that they lent their talents to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, that, the, the sound thing. I, I love that. Like the only time I've really ever heard anyone kind of talk about that is um, like Noel Gallagher of Oasis always talked about how he knew his brother sang certain vowels, like long vowels really well. And so then he tried oh. to like put as many of those in to songs as, as possible. Um, I, I think that's such a, an interesting thing because it's like he, he knew what the idea was, I guess, like what he had in mind. And then it was like, just, just, I don't know, like, um, finding the, the right pieces and then just knowing like, okay, this fits, we just need this other little thing that doesn't fit just perfect. And now it does. I, I don't know. I, I yeah. Great. No, they always say like the constraints are what you know, define your style more than like your abilities. Cause it's like, you get to just, there's certain things like if you're not good at, then you end up being really good at working around them. Like I just reminds me of my friend's mom who grew up, she was dyslexic and she just was like fucking brilliant. She'd worked so hard to get things done, you know, when it wasn't easy for her to read. And so yeah, her work ethic was like insane. And I feel like the same thing in music. It's almost kind of better if like you have a thing that you are specifically like, oh, well, I can only do this one thing. <laughs> so mm-hmm. then you sort of work in that one space and you get really good at it. Yeah, you put that a lot better than uh, than I have because I've I've tried to tell people <laughs> that where I'm, I've tried to explain that to the people. The sometimes like to think outside the box and like be really creative, you have to like say this is the box that I wanted in. Yeah. And no, it is. It feels like, you know, and maybe that's a very American thing. We want all the freedom and all the choice, (laughs) but sometimes it can be really overwhelming Mm -hmm. to be like, okay, well today, like I'm sure like when you look at a blank page, like, Oh my God, every time I start a song, I'm like, Oh my God, (laughs) can I even write songs? Am I any good at any of this? Like, I don't even know. And then, Sure enough, you just start putting things on there and 
it comes together. <laughs> you end up having one later. It's definitely a, but um, yeah, it's a wild process. And it's super wild too. The, like I play guitar, like I don't play it that often, but like I played it like on the recording of Palace and stuff like that for Sam. But I, I think having an instrument inside you when you're singing too is also a whole other level. Like you're writing these words and you're singing from inside you. So it's not like you can like look at it. So it's, it feels so easy to like over identify with your art form and your music too. When you're a singer, which is like kind of the joke is like, we're overly emotional and sensitive. (laughs) (laughs) But I think also like singers who write, you know, I think it plays into that too. It kind of bleeds into like that sensitivity when you're trying to put things together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think like this, this ties to something else that I've kind of talked about too with people is how like the, the songwriter, um, I think like the, 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 the best, I guess, attribute for a songwriter is like empathy. If you have empathy, like that can make you such a better songwriter, but like it's juxtaposed with a lot of songwriters being the, the front uh, person of the band, the singer. And like that usually is being like the extrovert and being like all about me or like the spotlight being on you just because like, that's the nature of the beast. And yeah, like, trying I don't to think like you need, world. I, I do have to say, I don't think it's, I don't know that it's empathy unless you're writing for other people. Like I think if you're writing for yourself, it's just like introspection. Like all you have to be is like very honest, which I think if you're kind of like a narcissist, <laughs> it's not that hard <laughs> to be so obsessed with your own life every day and the details of it, things that everyone will find. It's so interesting, but you're on the flip side of that. Like you're, you don't have the shame or the guardedness that so many people that are more sensitive empathic people are like, Oh, maybe they don't even want to hear this from me. You know, mm-hmm. like I think sometimes it gets confused for like, I do that. You know, like when you, like there's definitely a lot of times I dated super big assholes. I'd kind of like vacillate between I date a guy that was very, you know, sensitive and nurturing. And like, then the next guy I would date would be super asshole. And I think I, I liked it cause I thought they were being more honest I was like, oh, they're not going to like filter anything for me. And I, what I really want is the truth right now. And so sometimes I think we all get won over by assholes that have no filter because <laughs> we wish we had no filter. And it's like, mm, it doesn't really make it more true. It just means they're more willing to say things that the rest of us wouldn't say. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, that's interesting too because I, what I relate that to big time too is um, in, like in sports where – they, when a team hires a coach, um, th- there's basically like two camps, like the, yeah. uh, like the, the player's coach and then like the drill sergeant, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I feel like that's exactly the same thing right there. Oh my God. Have you watched the new Michael Jordan Netflix? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, uh, uh. that's like, it, that goes to our, I guess like the love of like what you're saying, like love of the asshole of like, um, him being just kind of no filter and also just being able to back right. it up. But then Phil Jackson being like kind of yeah. zen, right? Yeah. He's definitely, Phil definitely had mood boards. He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I love like how Phil just kind of, um, hey, this is our book club too. Like we're a team, but we're yeah. also a, <laughs> uh, yeah. I know. So cool. It's so fun to watch that too. I was just like, ah, oh, those are the days. Like, I think it's kind of like with music too. I guess it's just that time in your life where you're so like, you just have heroes, mm-hmm. you know, like how people are like, Oh God, music was so good back in whatever. And it's like probably when you were like 12, 13 and same thing with like sports. I'm just like, Oh my God, I remember. Like I didn't even realize when I was watching that documentary, I remember all those names. You remembered all those guys and they were like our heroes. Yeah. And I think it's, it is a, uh, it is weirder because like by the time you usually are making an impact on the world, you're a little bit older and it's like, okay, I feel like I have to temper like, okay, this doesn't seem to be the same as how my heroes did it. It's like, also you're remembering them from like 
a 12 year old vantage point. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's just a whole other, I don't know, growing up, you know? Yeah. Well, like it, it, the, the nostalgia thing, the, uh, and there has to be a part of this too. It's like, we never heard like all the bad stories in sports back in the nineties, the way, like, I guess like journalists have access now, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. So like oh, yeah. it's the, the Michael Jordan image was always, you know, kind of just pristine except for like the gambling stuff. And of course it, when I was 12, 13, okay, well, I don't know what that even, like, yeah. what does that even mean? <laughs> He's gambling on, on uh golf games and okay. I, I I don't understand that. Yeah, I don't even remember that. So um, I'm, I just remember being like Space Jam. Here we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's I I love that documentary. And it, what my favorite or one of the things I was uh, about it was like when they announced it. They're you know, six hours. Um, you know, it's going to be about this one season about Michael Jordan. Now, yada yada yada. And at the time, I was like, six hours seems really, really long. But right now, I could go for like another six hours easily. I know. So crazy. I loved basketball, too. Like, I used to play from like, I don't know, probably third grade all the way through like junior varsity. And then I think the coach of our high school uh, got fired. And I'd been like kind of in this program. So then when he left, I just stopped playing basketball. Mm -hmm. Like junior year or whatever. But ugh, I love that game. Yeah, I, Such a good game. Yeah, well, thank you so much for, for coming on today. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, so nice just chatting. Thanks for caring and for having really interesting questions. I feel like it's nice to get, it's nice to have time to get more in depth about stuff. So I appreciate yeah. it. Okay, that is it for this one. Be sure to check out The Other Side by Cam. Go check out our presenting partners over at Desert Door, Hot Damn Coffee and the blue light live go stop by our merch store check out the patreon and yeah we'll go ahead and see y'all later this week for another episode